It's time for Wolo and Friends on Sports 56, presented by Genesis of Olive Branch. Here is your host, the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin. What a night. Oh, my goodness. What an evening for Memphis. You could say a triple win. First, the Tigers. Just absolutely knocking 22nd-ranked Virginia off the floor. It was a blowout that turned out to be a blowout. It was unreal. I thought, and I said this on the air yesterday, I thought Clemson was better than Virginia, so I liked Memphis's chances. I honestly thought they would win by 5 or 6. By 23? By the way, the biggest... Margin of victory over a team that was ranked since 1964. Just amazing. Absolutely astonishing. And then, we'll talk more about that. But then, at 9.01 to be exact, there was, and it's actually getting talked about on ESPN at this very moment, Incredible. At 10.03, of course, 12 hours and two minutes later, or 13 hours, excuse me, and two minutes later, um, John Morant was magical. John Morant became the transcendent player, the transcendent player, that Memphis hopes that he, that he is and continues to be. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So... The Grizzlies were down 24 in this game at New Orleans. And all Ja did was score 27 of his 34 in the second half. In the huddle with nine and change left, he's cramping. He's using one of those massage things on his calves to try to get the legs right. He's basically saying, let's run a play to Triple J. And apparently, Desmond Bain said, uh-uh. You're back. This is for you. This is on you. You win the game for Memphis. And he totally took his time, dribbling up, got to half court. Three seconds left. He's at the top of the key, spins in the paint, lets a floater go back, iron in, and win. And so, remember, if the Grizzlies are to make the playoffs, most likely they were going to have to go 35-27, and Once Morant got back, last night, first game, they're 1-0. That's a good start. I had, That was incredible because he, he was clearly not a guy that had played a game. He was in shape, there's no question. But, you know, you played, I think he played 35 minutes last night. And in that 35th minute, you're tired. His competitiveness took over. What did he say? Dad, I'm back. I think that was what he mouthed when it was over. Went and embraced T. Here, here is the thing for me. I've seen this before, so I know it can happen. If you are a transcendent player, if you are a great player, you, you rise to the occasion, and you raise the level of everybody. 
Bain had a good night. Jaron Jackson had a good night. I bring those two up for this reason. I think of Michael Jordan because I still think he's the greatest player of all time. You can make your arguments about LeBron. I hear you. You can make the case. Maybe Kobe. Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as my number two anyway. But what Michael Jordan did was he took players that were role players, except for Scottie Pippen. So he had Pippen as his number two, and he had Horace Grant as the big inside guy, as the rebounder, and then he was replaced by Dennis Rodman. But it was always a, 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 a three guys. And there were some other pieces in the mix. Steve Kerr was a shooter. It was Paxton before him. There were, there were role guys. Maybe Kennard's going to be that for the, for the Grizzlies. But you, you make this case that Bain is Scotty. Now, I don't think he's quite as good as Pippen because Pippen's one of the top 50 guys of all time. But Bain's real good. And Bain can score, and Bain can facilitate. We saw that when Ja wasn't around. So Bain is Pippen, and Triple J is the Grant Rodman role. Now, granted, he does not rebound like them, but he's certainly a force inside with scoring and everything else. I prefer him inside than I do outside, although he hits threes on occasion. But there's your three. Now, I'm not saying they're quite as good as as those other guys, but Jordan and Ja, that's your star. Can he just carry a team? A transcendent player does that. He did that last night. Can he do that every night? I think he can. We'll see if he's that great a player. But that's what it's going to take for this team to end up being 13 games over 500 with him in the lineup to try to make play in postseason. And last night you could see you're down 24. I'm I'm doing the ball game. We're checking in timeouts, and you know they're down 16. They're down eight. They're down 24. You you don't think there's any comeback? You got to figure Ja, who was pretty consistently good all night, but he's going to tire. There's no way they're coming back in this game to do what they did. That was pretty. Darn impressive. The third victory, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit with our friend Steve Earhart, the big cheese, the head honcho of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, who told me he missed the Tigers game last night because he spent six hours down at City Hall with this city council meeting regarding the money the uh, state is going to divvy out to through the city council to the University of Memphis, the transfer of the ownership of the stadium to the University of Memphis. Fred Jones was a vocal guy complaining, uh, apparently, about lack of documentation they got beforehand. And, and I think, and I'm speculating a little here, I think Fred has a pretty sweetheart of a deal with the city for the Southern Heritage Classic. And I think he wants to make sure that sweetheart deal continues. Can't blame him. So we, uh, we will... Find out exactly from Steve Earhart how that meeting went down. So we're going to talk to Steve Earhart at 1025 today because Stats Norsworthy is off. Normally he would come in. We will head down to Baton Rouge and chat with our friend Ron Higgins the last segment of the show. But they did end up, after a long period of time, settling the issue. 
They've granted the transfer to the University of Memphis, the, the ownership of the Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, and now they got to work out all these deals with all these entities, including Steve and with Fred. And here's the thing I'm not sure about, but I read. And that is the next time the city council meets, there will be new members to the council. In order for everything that was voted upon last night to be officially put into place, the notes of this last meeting, of last night's meeting, has to be approved. And with new council members, I don't know if that's a slam dunk or not. There could be some people that go, oh, man, I, I don't know. Um, I think we need to reconsider because we're a new legislative body here. So I don't know how that is going to play out. We'll get the, the temperature from Steve Earhart, and that will come your way in a little bit. So I talked a little bit about job being transcendent and, you know, MJ, uh, you know, had his three. Jaws got his three, and they were pretty good last night. I, I believe Bain had 21. I think Triple J uh, ended up with 24, 27, somewhere in that ballpark. So it was the three of them all involved, and so they're off to a good start. So for the Tigers, I, I'm just totally amazed to do what they did. So now, in the regular season, for the first time in history, this has never been done before by a Memphis team, first time in history, they beat three ranked teams in a row. At AM, SEC. Clemson, ACC, ranked. Virginia, ACC, ranked. Number two efficient defense in the country. They put 77 points on them. They, by the way, were the better defensive team. They held Virginia to 47% uh, – I'm, I'm sorry, 39% shooting – and they scored 22 points in the second half. So basically, 54 all told, 22 in the second half. And the Tigers blew them away. They had a 13-to-1 start. And you think about this resume now. I just mentioned the three ranked teams. Don't forget there was a fourth ranked team when they beat Arkansas. was 17th in the country when they beat them down in the Bahamas. Amazing. Just amazing. They're, they should be ranked higher than 23. Did you see Mike DeCourcy had them as a three seed in his bracketology? By the way, there's, you know, they, they have that, Shelby Mass does that um, bracket matrix. And there's a guy in there that's won, like, been the most accurate the last couple of years. He had Memphis as a three seed. Peep, and this was before the blowout of Virginia. So now you've got six Power 5 wins, four against ranked teams. In your quad one and two, you are six and two. The net, by the way, this morning went to 26. So that's no worse than a five seed, just by math. I, I can't imagine now with those quad one and two wins. And by, and by the way, I... I they're going to have two more quad one opportunities at the minimum with FAU. 
they split those, and if VCU becomes a quad one, I, I think there's like eight or nine quad one wins they could have, which would be amazing. So we start to think. You start Now you're going to add Naquan Tomlin, who many think is DeAndre Williams with a higher upside. Now, I don't think he's going to score quite like DeAndre Williams, plus which there's too many other guys that can score on this team, including David Jones, who has to have the ball. He's a little like Kendrick Jones in that regard. But he brings a lot to the table. And the Tigers are 9-2 and two without a big man. They won the two games. They won Alabama State. They won Jackson State. Um, and they did win two in the Bahamas with Jordan Brown. But they played a lot better with Jordan Brown gone. And the Jordan Brown thing remains a mystery. Penny will not say anything. He just says he's still sick. I have no idea what the reasoning behind keeping the guy on the roster, not jettisoning him yet, Penny says he's a good guy, I, I, or that he's a good guy for keeping him. Um, there's something we don't know, okay? I'm just going to say that. I don't know. I'm guessing when I say that. But there's a reason why they have not just said you're gone. And Penny's pretty loyal to his guys, but here's a guy who hasn't shown up since Ole Miss. Doesn't practice. Doesn't talk to anybody. There's something fishy about Jordan Brown. We'll find out in the end, I promise, but I, I don't see him coming back. Why would you bring him back? You just got another piece inside. You don't need him back. You're playing much better without him. You're 4-0 against three ranked teams in that bunch without him. You've whittled your net to 26 without him. Why would you bring him back? But you think about this now with this resume. You've got Arkansas, Michigan. You've got Missouri at Missouri. Now you've got this this run at VCU, four in a row, and then the three ranked teams, A&M, Clemson, Virginia. Adding this piece, this, this clearly, in my mind, is the best Memphis college basketball team since the John Calipari 2018 that should have won the national title. Zach Boyd, I know you're you're biting at the bit to weigh in. I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> no, I think I, it was a it was a really good win last night. I think, and we and I and I mentioned this to Johnny and a couple others. Like, yeah, if you take care of the basketball, you've moved the basketball around, get some get some turnovers. Make your shots. You're gonna win the game because, and like I, I, I asked, I asked them yesterday. I was like, their last game that they played before the Tigers, like the last game that Virginia played, they played Northeastern, they scored 54 and, points and barely beat Northeastern. Yes. So I'm They're, like, there's no way in the world this team is considered one of the top teams in the country, but they only could muster up 54 points against a low, low mid-major team. So I knew going into it, it was. Okay, cool. Like I know they can score. I know that they can, they can, they can come through and and put some points on the board. It was just a matter of turnovers, shot selection, moving the ball well, playing together as a team. And last night was just a com- uh, was a culmination of that. It it was amazing. You consider this? You know how many turnovers Virginia averages in a game? 
Probably less than 10. Eight. You're on the money. Eight. 18 last night. That Memphis defense, not only is it relentless, it wears you down. At the end of the game with Clemson, P.J. Hall was exhausted. At the end of this game, everybody on Virginia was exhausted. And Tony Bennett was trying to move players in and out. Think now, too, if anybody ever says, well, you know, Penny just gets some talent and rolls the ball out. That you can forget that argument now. You realize the players, the coaches that he has he has knocked off in the last six years? The big name Hall of Fame coaches. Now Tony Bennett's on that list. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can coach with anybody. He yeah. made the right adjustments. Uh, yeah, I, I, his defensive schemes are incredible. I mean, that pack line defense, they couldn't stop Memphis. Yeah. They couldn't stop a guy from driving like David Jones. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's really a fun thing to watch. We're sitting in the Family Leisure Studios. A reminder that Christmas sale still going on. Excellent deals on pool tables, shuffleboards, saunas. If you're tired from shopping, no problem. Hot tubs to get relaxed in, massage chairs to ease out the soreness. Oh, yeah. And you can surprise the kids with a new arcade, a game table, maybe a play gym. It's Christmas, and they've got it looking beautiful with great prices at Family Leisure. And our title sponsor, that's Genesis of Olive Branch, right at the corner. And I'm going there today to see some folks. Right at the corner of Highway 78, that's Lamar and Craft Road, the first exit in Mississippi. Go see Vinny. Vinny Gerard is the guy who's over all of the Genesis cars. And he's got things going with the GV70 and the GV80. Ask about those Genesis luxury SUVs. With all the new technology, ask Vinny about it. You'll love what you hear at Genesis of Olive Branch. We're going to hear from the Big Cheese, the head honcho of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. We'll talk about this game with Memphis and with Iowa State. But we'll also talk about the stadium deal finally Voted upon last night in a good way for the university and I think for the city of Memphis. That discussion comes your way in just a minute. We are Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Wallow and Friends on Sports 56. Presented by Genesis of Olive Branch. Here once again is the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin. a long day for my friend, the big cheese, the head honcho of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Steve Earhart was at City Hall for six hours, he told me, <laughs> listening to the city council go back and forth on this deal. Good morning. I thought it was an unbelievable night for Memphis sports last night. The Tigers blow away Virginia. The Jaw-led Grizzlies have a great comeback. Jaw's the talk of the nation. He's on ESPN half the time right now. And in the 
Tigers or the university finally gets control of the Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, but it wasn't easy, Steve. You were there. Can you go through the process and why it took so long and why there was, I guess, so much doubt from so many people about this deal? Well, Dave, the, yes, the, it was six hours of city council, but it wasn't all about the stadium. The, it was the last meeting of the year, so there was a lot, 40-some agenda items. But there was some uh, a spirited debate. I think it's uh, uh, kind of a complicated issue there because you've got a stadium that's been in the city's name. Remember in the old days, it was partially owned by the county, partially by the city, and then the city has uh, run it for the last several years, and then the university wanted to uh, take control and have ownership of the stadium, but the, the city is going to maintain the parking areas around the stadium, so that that was one of the issues that was discussed. And uh, and then the other issues that, that were came up and reported was uh, having the uh, major tenants, which in the uh, Southern Heritage game and then the AutoZone Liberty Bowl game, and to, to some extent the, the new USFL group, which is played games in the stadium last spring. So how do you get all those pieced together and in a hurry at the end of the year? So uh, I think in the end it's all worked out fine. The university is, is happy. They now have a situation where they control the stadium itself, and I'm not sure what plans beyond the renovations. Of course, they've been driving the bus on, on these great new renovations, which I can hope. Hopeful start in a few weeks, so I'm not sure where that stands. But yeah, it's I think a, a good solution in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Uh, we extended our lease, and that was one of the things we actually came to an agreement with the city that our lease would be extended for three years, and then we would have five one-year options to continue, which is exactly what we have had in the past. In fact, this is our seventh year of the previous lease and of course we've been in the stadium for over 60 years this is the 65th uh, you know annual AutoZone Liberty Bowl game next Friday and uh, of course the stadium basically carries the name of our association the Liberty Bowl Festival Association you know and we we had lent our name to the city all these years so we're very proud of that so all in all I think it was a good night for the university and a good night for future the stadium and again I, I don't want to pass any time to say so much gratitude to the Smith family, Fred Smith and Richard, and their their great contribution to help uh, uh, break through the, the stalemate there that the Grizzlies were enforcing with the about the money there that came from the state. Let, let me ask you this: you you've you've got your deal done apparently with the university. Why was Fred Jones? And I don't want you to to you know speak for him, but but explain to me if you can what he was reluctant about with all of this did did he want a better deal than he was getting with the city or was was uh th there just not enough documentation there, there seemed to be a real hesitation by fred jones that could have put this deal on hold basically you hit it right documentation was the issue you know because i think you would probably attribute to a late notice uh, from because the, the city was having to do some documentation. The university was involved. The university's, what do they call our auxiliary outfit? And quite frankly, Fred's concern, and again, I certainly do not want to speak for Fred, but that uh, that neither Fred or our organization got notice of all the documentation and, 
until the very day. And so, and that city council also commented on that, that the, the administration, you know, there was, there was, there when you was, say the administration, are you talking about the, the, the mayor? The city, city, administ- the city administration there, they had, they had, uh, again, I will only say this because of the, the lateness of the year and speed in trying to get something done. So there was delays in getting paperwork spelling out exactly what was going to happen. And that was, I think, again, I'm not speaking for Fred, but that's uh, certainly what what was kind of the issues of was there enough time. Normally, if you're doing something like this with several different entities with governments, you've got, you know, weeks, if not months, of trading documents back and forth. And that was the problem. All right. Now, they finally passed this thing. But I read this morning, and it, it, it kind of alarmed me, this really doesn't go and become official law, I guess, until the notes from this past meeting are approved by the next council meeting. And the next council meeting will actually have five new councilmen on the council. So could they reverse this? That, that's worrisome. What's, what, how do you read the tea leaves on that? Would these five new people come in and go, well, you know, we didn't really approve of that. We're now sort of in power. Let's revisit this. Is that a possibility? You know, David, I, I'm no, <laughs> you know, Robert's Rules of Orders expert, and I, I'm not sure I totally understand that myself, but I, I, I did not see any, you know, you know, people talking about, well, this could be reversed or anything like that. I think what I said earlier, I think it was more the issue of trying to look at the details, you know, and what are the responsibilities of the various parties in getting those pinned down, as they always say, the devil is always in the details. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pick up any hesitation of moving forward in this process. And there is going to take some time to sit down and say, okay, what what are some of these fine points? And again, trying to work through issues like parking and that kind of thing, because in this deal, the city will retain parking, and so the people putting on games, the University of Memphis, the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, and the Southern Heritage will have to have deals with the city independent of the university. So it's those kind of things that we need to sit down and get worked through. Yeah, uh, and I I suspect they will all eventually be worked out. Uh, I guess my last question would be, can they be worked out to begin this construction project? As you have always said, and the university has always hoped, that this process would begin right after the AutoZone Liberty Bowl is completed on December the 29th. I'm sure there's going to be a week or whatever it takes in between, but do you believe that this thing will begin as soon as the new year comes in and and this, this thing will start going forward with actual construction workers on site? Well, that's certainly my hope, and that's I think that was the plan for many months. We've attended a lot of the meetings with the architects and the engineers and the estimators and so on, and the plan had always been to start our game is a week from Friday, December 29th. Again, hopefully many Memphians will show up and have a great turnout here. But our hope was that it would start immediately. Now, uh, I can't answer that question whether it will start right at that point, but now that I think there's some clarity and the issue, I, hopefully, we can get started on that right away. So, but I, I'm, I'm certainly don't have any inside information about when the, exactly that will start. All right. Our hope is that we'll start as quickly as possible. Me too. All right, let's 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 talk about the game, Memphis 
Iowa State on December the 29th. How are ticket sales? Well, I think we still have good seats available. I think there'd been some, you know, folks here, especially in the Memphis area, you know, waiting at, at uh, six years ago in 2017. I know, Dave, you were there on the call. It was a wonderful game, 21-20. And I think, as I recall, Anthony Miller was going down the sidelines there. He was banged up. But uh, uh, it was a, a terrific game, close game all the way. Total sellout. Half the stadium was uh, the the cardinal red of the uh, Cyclones, and the other half was the tiger blue. Uh, so it was a terrific game, and so we were hoping to be able to recreate that and pick up uh, six years later. Certainly, there's all new people, and certainly on the University of Memphis side, administration coach now Ryan Silverfield was uh, on the sidelines as an assistant that year. But uh, of course, every player is new. The athletic department, president, all all new people there. And but so we really want to reach out to to the Memphians to show up in the stadium. We know Iowa State will come in here strong. They're one of the best traveling teams in the country as far as attending bowl games. They've been in some big bowls the last several years after their win in the Autos and Liberty Bowl six years ago. I think they were in the Fiesta Bowl down in Phoenix, and then they've been down in the Orlando Bowl and so on. But one thing I'd like to point out to the to Memphians here listening to your show, uh, Jamie Pollard, the very respected athletic director at uh, Iowa State, he's one of the longest running athletes. He, he was asked the other day on a national uh, uh, broadcast, why did they want to come to the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, and why was it special? And he pointed out, he said, because of the people in Memphis, and the people of Memphis take great pride, and it means a great deal to the citizens of Memphis. So when the, he said, when we're walking around town, when we're down at the parade, or when we're going to AutoZone Park for that uh, the Christmas display, and when we're out at Dave and Buster's, people just pay attention to us. When we're at some of those other bowl games, yeah, there was they were nice bowl games, but nobody in the town really knew about them being there. So the red carpet treatment that all Memphians, in fact, so that's why I implore your listeners to, when you see the Iowa State folks, and of course, you know, and the home team, the Tigers are in the game, but, you know, reach out that uh, helping hand, and they're, they're arriving on Sunday. They're arriving in town, bringing 125 players on Christmas Eve on the 24th, and they're going to stay six full days. They'll be headquartered downtown at the Peabody. And so as that the group of Cyclones get here, make sure you have enough beer. But also, uh, I think that shows why we are so thankful and appreciate why we've been around for 65 years is that the people here in Memphis, it means a great deal to them. So uh, be looking for those Cyclone folks coming to town. And uh, so there are still... Uh, tickets available, and I, I know what the University of Memphis tells us, a lot of their fans were kind of waiting to see what was going on here, and so now's the time. We've got, uh, what, uh, a week from Friday of the game. Uh, weather looks uh, dry and sunny uh, for for that day, so please uh, grab your tickets. We want to make sure that there's enough Tiger Blue in the stadium because we know there's going to be a lot of Cyclone Red. So have, have, have Iowa State fans bought more tickets than Memphis? Seriously. You know, I don't know the exact numbers at this point, but, uh, you know, we've had had Iowa State twice now. You remember they came, was it 15 or 12 years ago? I can't remember. Remember they played Tulsa, and they had a great crowd that, that year. And then six years ago, they had a great crowd. They always have a great crowd, so they have some really hardy fans, and they're driving south. And it, it, it's a drive, and and they've done a great job promoting it. Jamie Pollard has he made a great video. Actually, he had uh, footage from the parade six years ago, and he put that up out there up in Iowa and said, "Hey, 
Cyclone fans, let's get down to Memphis. We have a great time down there. They're great, hospitable people, and so let's all go. So I'm not sure we'll we'll know more probably as uh, we get closer next week. But you know, we certainly expect a great crowd uh, from Iowa State, and and that's why again I certainly invite uh, Memphians to to jump in there. The stadium issues now clarified. Uh, the Tigers and basketball are doing great, and you know, let's not forget the. The Tigers football, nine wins is a great achievement. And I think their only three losses were to teams that ended up what in the top 20 there. And so, and playing Missouri on the road in a close game, Missouri's in the top 10. So, uh, you know, it was a great season for the Tigers. I think it would be a great shootout. I mean, uh, the, and the running back, I'm anxious to see this freshman running back for, uh, Iowa State that gained 276 yards against Kansas State in the snow the last game. I mean, he's he's like dropped from outer space. I mean, three touchdown runs. Uh, Abu is his name, and uh, he could be the, one of the best freshman running backs in, in the country. And there, and it's going to be a good matchup of quarterbacks too. The uh, the Iowa State quarterback was the freshman of the year. He reminds us a lot of Seth Hennigan. So it'll be a good battle, and both starting quarterbacks are playing. We're blessed. There's there's a few few opt-outs, but none of the key players uh, from either team have opted out. So it should be a great matchup on Friday afternoon, 2.30 p.m., kind of a start to the holiday weekend there. So uh, we really would like to invite Memphians. It's important. It should be a great uh, television ratings there on that Friday afternoon. It's important for Memphis to shine, and so we'd love to see a lot of blue there in the stadium for the national telecast. I I know the Tigers, if we're looking at one area where the opt-outs might affect you, they have a couple um, that that were offensive linemen that were starters that are not going to be in. So that's that's a little worrisome, I think, for Ryan Silverfield. Where were the opt-outs at Iowa State? Can you do you remember the positions? Uh, I don't think they've had any since the announcement yeah, earlier in the season. I think there was a running back or two that. I think saw the writing on the wall that this freshman sensation was going to be the was going to be the man, and so they decided. Uh, I think it didn't have anything to do with the bowl. It was just uh, that they they saw that he was going to get all the carries, and uh, so they moved on. But I I think they feel very good about their team. That uh, you know that except for some guys that were you know in a backup position, and with a. Uh, exciting young quarterback and as they say <clears throat> we have a very young team you know a team that's really uh striving you know they had an off year last year and that always bodes well now that this year they had a, <clears throat> a great year in the <clears throat> excuse me in the big 12 you know tied for second i believe in the big 12 with a six and three record inside the conference which is a pretty doggone good achievement so uh I think the and I, I see that they're favored, but uh, I think the Tigers playing at home and you know with a hopefully a big home crowd there. I I think Seth Hennigan I know is uh, you know he's he's the experienced quarterback now, and I think uh, playing here at home uh, should be a really good tight high scoring game. I, I I think it'll be I think the home field will balance out some of that uh, as long as the Tiger fans do show up. Last thing. I, I, I was thinking about this, you know, Big 12 representation, the SEC, again, was very disappointing and, and good for Memphis, uh, the Tigers, but um, they, 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 as a partner, this is, I think, the third time when they were a little short, you did not get a team. How much longer is the Big 12 SEC deal uh, in, in writing? I believe it's three more years, David, okay. and, and actually... We haven't really probably explained it enough, but we we always wanted to have this three way of 
availability for the American, primarily because of the University of Memphis, to be able to do what we can to help the University of Memphis and to play a home game here where they're going to be able to have many more fans, the families of the players, the friends of the players, instead of having to go fly. For example, having if they would have had to go, say, to the Boston Bowl, the new bowl up in family, you know, several thousand dollars per person to get up there, expensive hotels, they wouldn't have the chance to have that celebration with their their teammates, their friends, their family, and that's part of the bowl. And the university make make more money by playing here at home, and then uh, the opportunity to win the game. I think that's important for for the future uh, platforming of the of any uh, team. And and normally, a team that plays well in our game goes on to some really great things the following following year. So we're looking forward to uh, to that. And and before before we leave, too, I mean. This year, we selected the Barquets to receive our uh, achievement award there in the field of music and entertainment, and so they'll be they'll be playing not only at the gala the night before the game at the Peabody. In fact, I think you're 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 known for being one of the dancing fools out there at the <laughs> at the presidential gala, David. So I hope you'll be there dancing to all this great music, the music that made Memphis that the the Barquets will be playing, and they've got a four song. Uh, medley they're set to play at halftime so you get to be uh you'll be up in the radio booth but maybe you can do a little dance along at halftime when you're uh, off I'll the do, air I'll there do uh, dancing at the peabody i i can't wait for that gail my friend thank you much we'll talk good. again next wednesday good thank you and you, see everybody on december 29th at the 65th AutoZone liberty bowl that is the big cheese the head honcho steve Earhart. He's brought to you by Grind City Brewing. Oh, my goodness. There's a taste of Memphis. It's downtown. Boy, they're really utilizing downtown this year, by the way, because not only is the Peabody where the Big 12 is going to stay, the Tigers are staying down at the Sheridan. So it's a big downtown thing, and that's exactly where Grind City is. Just what the doctor ordered with their Pilsner. That's Poppy's Pills. You know, they've been taking care of beerness in Memphis Grind City has for a number of years now. Not just the Pilsner and other big sellers, the Godhopper. That's the Pale Ale. If you like the Blue Moon kind of thing, the Belgian-style wheat ales, they got the Belga. They got the Amber Lager. That's called the Thaddeus. They've got the Tiger Tail. That's a craft malt liquor with a little extra kick. It's terrific. It's Grind City, a taste of Memphis. Grind City Brewing, taking care of beerness in Memphis for years now. We'll pause for a second to Baton Rouge we go. A little more football talk and some SEC hoops. Ron Higgins, our SEC historian, is right around the corner. Add a little fun to your lunch break. Join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Wolo and Friends on Sports 56. Presented by Genesis of Olive Branch. Here once again is the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin. Check out those Genesis luxury cars, particularly the SUVs at Genesis of Olive Branch right at the corner of Highway 78. That's Lamar in the first exit in Mississippi. That is Craft Road. Turn left and go see Vinny Gerard. He's the guy over the Genesis cars at Genesis of Olive Branch. To Baton Rouge we go, our SEC historian, who I know has been listening in on some Tiger basketball. How about that romp? Over Virginia last night. You uh, did you see that game? I watched the game. Uh, 
it's just really impressive. This team's doing things that really up from a distance none of any teams have ever done consistently. Play defense, play smart, play hard. Limit turnovers, take good shots. Uh, but that's what you get when you get guys out of the transfer portal who are veterans. They've been there. They know how to do it. And it's, it's fun to watch. It really is. It is interesting that Penny, who started off trying to get every uh, one-and-done senior out of high school, has changed it all. And now he's trying to get the best he can get of experienced, really solid players out of the portal. I wonder how many other coaches are going to start doing that. I think a lot of coaches are trying to do that, honestly. But, you know, you want a guy with experience. You don't have to have to have an experience situation he's not used to. So you get a guy who's been a two- or three-year starter, been in big games, knows how to handle pressure, and understands what a coach wants. And he's got those guys. And, I mean, really, this is the best team he's had and the best team that has the chance to go the furthest in the NCAA tournament he's had. Yeah, I, I think this is the best team since the Calipari 08 squad that went to the, that should have won the national title. Honestly, um, yeah, no, it's it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I got to ask you about the Heisman, Jaden Daniels. I voted for him. I know you voted for him. Um, Brett Norsworthy, I'm pretty sure, voted for him as well. I think he said that. So uh, out of our three votes, that was all his way. I think he won pretty soundly. Uh, I, I have to ask you this because you 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 uh, were witness to another guy who won a Heisman recently there, Joe Burrow. How would you compare those two guys? Who's the who was the better college quarterback that particular year? Because people forget how good Burrow was that year. Uh, boy, it's a tough one. They're, they're two different styles. Uh, but I still have to go with Burrow. Uh, just every game you expected him not to ever miss a receiver. Every game you expected them to, to win. Every game you expected them to, after the opponent scored, LSU would come back and score. Uh, never really saw Burrow make a bad throw all year. Now, obviously, Jaden, with his legs, totally different quarterback than Burrow, won in a different way. And, yeah, I would like to see Jaden Daniels have Joe Burrow's defense in 2019. It's what I had that LSU be in the playoffs this year, but didn't have that. Yeah. But the fact he did what he did was incredible. Um and and, and it's it's it is interesting. We we're just talking about basketball in the portal. Every one of the quarterbacks that went to New York for the Heisman and Burrow himself all were transfer quarterbacks. Now that's pretty astounding. Yeah. I mean I think this is what you're seeing now. I mean guys are I mean, Burrow's situation was kind of different than Jaden. Uh, Burrow never started a game at Ohio State. Never really got a chance to play much. Jaden started 29 games at Arizona State. So they came from kind of different decisions. Uh, but both of them found what they were looking for. I think every situation is different for a quarterback. And now, I mean, honestly, I forgot what was. Matt Rule said it takes like six figures. Seven takers to get a quarterback now out of the portal, the starting one. So you got to make an investment. 
Yeah, big investment with NIL money these days. Um, do you think Jaden Daniels will be a good pro? Because I, I, I know there's like four quarterbacks that are pretty good that are going to be in this year's draft. And I know I say this selfishly because my Bears are going to be in the mix with Charlotte's pick or even their own in the first round. Uh, how good do you think Jaden Daniels can be at the NFL level? I think he'll be very good. I think he's a he's a Lamar Jackson type. He throws a better ball better than Lamar Jackson. Uh, maybe fast, fast, faster than Lamar Jackson. But you know, in the pros, you, know, you protect yourself a little more. You don't want to get killed. I think Jaden got to start doing some of that. But I think he will. He's a smart kid. He put in the work this year to be the player he was. And uh, I think you'd be able to get close. Would you, <laughs> excuse me, I tried to get that out while you were talking and I couldn't. <laughs> Live radio. Would you, if you were a NFL GM and you've got Daniels, you got Caleb Williams, you got Michael Penix, you got the kid from North Carolina, May, who would you take if you had the opportunity and all four sitting right in front of you? That's a good question. Look, hey, Williams got a lot of talent. A lot of talent, but I question his toughness. And some things he said after loss this year were just soft. No. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like, oh, I'm sorry, maybe I'm, I'm biased in this sense. I think Daniels is the best lot. Here's the guy who, one week after, a concussion had 606 yards total offense against Florida. Against, the against an SEC school, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Got off the deck. Yeah. Uh, all those guys are good in their own in their own sense. I like Penix, but his delivery seems really slow. It gets rid of the ball. I think the North Carolina quarterback has been up and down. Oh, I forgot Bo Nix. You got to put him in there too. Yeah, uh, Bo Nix is kind of like your your prototypical quarterback or a pro in the sense like everything he throws is like out of his hands in a hurry and, and short routes. And that's why I don't think it was impossible to win him win the Heisman. Everything, everything he throws is like fifteen yards. You know, every game I watch, he never really went deep that much. Uh, until the Pac-10 championship game, he never had a run for more than 17 yards in the game. The longest run was 17 yards until that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. From what I, I just saw just the best guy in football every every game this year. And right when you thought you were amazed, he'd go out and do something even more amazing. Uh, he got better as the year went along. Uh, and from what he was when he got here, what he is now is absolutely just, it's just stunning. It really is. I mean, here's a guy they questioned whether he could throw the ball downfield. They questioned everything about him. And now, uh, the best passing year, I think, efficiency year in the history of college football. Uh, best everything. Which is exactly what Burrow had the year he won the Heisman in the national title. So uh, there's there's obviously some development going on uh, at LSU. Got to ask you this because the AP vote has come out. The coach of the year 
is Washington's Kalen DeBoer. Now, I, I hard to argue, perfect. They won all the big games. They're in the playoff. The only thing is, I, I will tell you, I'm surprised. I really kind of felt that they would give this to Mike Norvell because he got screwed by the playoff committee. I thought it would be because every all things being equal, give the guy the break that got kind of snubbed at the end, but they didn't. They went with DeBoer. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I mean, but honestly, I mean, I'm going to kind of see, you know, the football writers give away the Eddie Robinson Award for Coach of the Year. Uh, we do. And I'm waiting for that one to see who that is because we always have some guys on there or not on people's ballots normally. Uh, like the Northwestern coach. Uh, I, I can't remember his name, but for what he did this year with that team, after what happened in the summer, they lose their coach. They start off horrible, and I think they became bowl eligible. Uh, he did a hell of a job. You know, I know, I know people won't look at, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll never give Nick Saban credit because, my God, all the talent he gets every year. But he made a really average Alabama team into a, a playoff team. This wasn't a really great Alabama team, and I don't think it's still, it's maybe still not be. Yeah, I don't think they should be in, honestly. Um, but well, that, that that's my sense. I think Norvell's team should have been in because they beat everybody, and they they beat some really good teams, including your club in in Baton Rouge. And I know they lost no, the quarterback. No, they, they beat them in Baton Rouge, beat them in, in, in Orlando. Oh, that's right. They beat them on a neutral. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, I mean, they – they caught LSU early, which was, which was a good play to catch LSU, and they played well. You know, and they played. You know, they they won a bunch of close games all year, and uh, you know, that's going to be the argument forever. They should have got in or not. A lot of people yeah. do think they should do like you do. Uh, people like me who abide by the letter of the, the law the, of the, the playoff committee, they have the right to. If a, they don't think a team's going to be as good as it was without a quarterback they had. They can they can replace the team. So, but that's an argument that's going to be, be gone for. That'll be going on forever. Just yeah, like Harvard going on, like Harvard going unbeaten. I'm not, not going to convince you. You're not going to convince me. That is for sure. But it's that's why we love it. That's college football. It's always been that way. Arguing back to the AP and the UPI polls. It's always yep. been subjective, and that's I guess what intrigues us. My friend, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, happy, happy, merry. Mary, to you, to Paige, to all your family, and uh, we, we will talk again next week, but it'll be after Christmas then. All right, Waldo. Take care. We'll Thank you. you. We appreciate it. That is our man down in Baton Rouge. That is Ron Higgins. He's brought to you by Dinstel's as Christmas draws near. Dinstel's has beautiful sweet treats. I mean, if you want to see the way they package stuff, you would be amazed. These treats are there to fill your stockings and to finish your list for family and friends. You can drop by any of the five locations through Saturday this week. They will be closed on Sunday and Monday. Those stores are Laurelwood, My Neck of the Woods, Germantown, Collierville, Downtown, and Pleasant View, where they make the candies. And Dinsels want to wish everybody a very happy holiday season from their entire Dinsels team. Don't forget, they're closed on uh, Sunday and Monday. But they're there till Saturday to make sure your Christmas wish list is sweet. That'll do it for us. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Johnny Radio is right around the corner. Have a great day, everyone.